Um, I think that like stasis is death, right? That we we get very comfortable in a good place, right? We, we, we reach a spot like, oh, this is like really nice here, but then we plateau. We're not, we're not looking towards the next thing. Um, so for me, the one thing I will say is that I am never, ever, ever satisfied if I'm not growing. So even if my sights were never at the moon, I was always heading in a direction. Um, and I think that's really the key for me to productivity in life is just find a way to keep moving. What's up, my curious friends? And welcome to the Mike Mantel podcast. This podcast is a place where I use conversations to explore the intimacy movement, the personal growth movement, and the consciousness movement that are all happening in today's world, trying to get a pulse on the zeitgeist of these different movements by talking with ballers from each of them. The baller with whom we're chilling today is a guy named Chris Sparks. Chris is a productivity coach and expert, and he defines productivity as finding the most efficient possible way to get from point A to point B. So no matter what your desires are, no matter what your life path is, he helps people get from their point A to their point B in the most efficient way possible, which is pretty badass. I met Chris originally, I think I met him at the Burn, at Burning Man briefly a couple years ago. But we were living in New York City at the same time, and we're running in uh, overlapping circles of, and had overlapping friends from Burning Man, and so somehow I got put in touch with him. And uh, the conversation that I had with him today on this podcast, dude, wonderful, truly wonderful. It really affected me. Um, so I actually, I had this conversation like a, a, a little while ago, and it's taken me a while to get the podcast up, and... It, my life has been very different since it, since the conversation. Uh, most notably, I'm affected by this concept of using 30-day life containers and running experiments on my life in 30-day stretches, fully committing to them, and then afterwards taking a break, reflecting. So like ones that I've done, uh, eating raw vegan for 30 days, making friends with a stranger once a day for 30 days, practicing freestyle rap for 10 minutes for 30 days straight, going to bed by midnight, which is very early for me, every day for 30 days, uh, more and more. I've, I've done a bunch of them and I do multiple at a time. And that idea came from, and like the real motivation from it really got lit up because of this conversation with Chris Sparks. Um, so it was, I, I thought this, it was a wonderful conversation, just dripping with wisdom. Um, God, that sounded sexual in some kind of way, but uh, <laughs> maybe wisdom is sexual. I, who, I don't know. Anyways, in the conversation today, we talked about a bunch of cool stuff. To name a few, talked about life as a one-player game and figuring out our priorities and the skill set to achieve those priorities. We talked about instrumental skills, skills that are valuable no matter what direction you want to take your life talked about just how to move and grow and just constantly evolve and get out of stasis we talked about 30-day cycles like i like i said talked about finding your passion talked about the chaos and order that comes in organizational systems talked about empathizing with your future self and more things too but that's at least uh some of the palette um and i just want to say if you enjoy this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you were to go to iTunes and give it a five-star rating, if that feels true to you, and even write it a review. This podcast is a really big project for me. I've really poured my heart into it and it poured my energy into it, partially because I love it and it's a passion project, but also partially because I really believe that these people I'm talking to have wisdom to share with the world, and I'm hoping to extract wisdom in these conversations to give to listeners so that people can live their fullest life and have their greatest impact on humanity and give their gifts to the world. And so this podcast is an attempt for me to use my gifts of conversation to get wisdom out there so people can tap into their gifts um, and give them to the world, because I really think that what the earth need, the earth needs a lot but i think one thing the earth needs is to have everybody in their greatest kindness everybody in their greatest sense of purpose and everybody giving their all to this life and to humanity as a whole 
so that's just a bit of my inspiration behind this. And so I'd appreciate any ratings or reviews you'd be willing to give me. It would mean a lot to me. And the offer that I'm making, which I'll continue to make, is if you do want to give this a review, let me know on Facebook. And I would love to give you a compliment, a sincere compliment. And the reason I'm putting that out there is, well, I mean, it's just kind of a silly and fun trade. And I love to give people compliments because it feels good to appreciate. But also, like, I want to make a bridge between uh, myself and people supporting me. I really want to show my appreciation. So please do feel free uh, to take me up on that. And whether or not you're interested in that, um, thanks for listening. All right. That's all I got for you. So enjoy the conversation with Chris Sparks from his business, The Forcing Function. Skadoosh. Hmm. I guess the first thing I'm wondering, Chris, as a broad question, is what even uh, is productivity and why is it important? I think productivity in many ways is subjective because um, I think of life in terms of a single player game and that we make our own scorecard and no one else can determine um, our own priorities, what's important to us, what our, what our life's mission is, only we can determine that. So once that's been determined, essentially what is our destination, I think of productivity in terms of these are the techniques to get to our destination in a more effective, efficient manner. So identifying the most direct path and not falling prey to any things that appear like a shortcut, but really are a long cut, any distractions, any sort of getting lost on the way to our ultimate destination. Huh. That's a really interesting description because it makes me it just it I assume from that that like the arrow can be pointed anywhere. Uh like, you know, anywhere <laughs> and and the skill set is transferable. But one thing I'm wondering there is uh I'm what if like one's goal is like um spiritual enlightenment or like spiritual whatever that means or like spiritual growth or spiritual gaining wisdom or something like that does is there a transfer between the two worlds do you think the skill set of productivity and that particular goal i think so um i think i think a key part of it is having some way to determine whether you're making progress so um usually that's putting some measure on what you're doing that will reliably lead towards that goal, right? So built in what you're saying um, is you need to know what success looks like, right? So maybe in this case, it's having a more abstract vision of the person you will be compared to the person you are now. And I like to think of it in terms of those like spot the difference exercises where you have one picture of yourself as the person you are now and another picture of the person that you'd like to become, and you're spotting the differences between those two pictures. And that essentially becomes your path, is to reconcile those two images of yourself. Um, and that's what I mean in terms of identifying that direct path, is once you have a clear picture of where you are and where you'd like to be, the next steps become clear. It's just reconciling those two differences. Got it. Cool. Okay. Wow. This is, um, that's a fascinating framework because there's, I mean, there's something around like, yeah, what is the art of learning, the art of mastery, the art of improving at something. So there's one skill set of like getting better at something. And then the, the, there's the other skill set of like pointing that thing in, um, I guess the direction you want to point it. And I'm curious. So you, the idea of like, here's my present self, let's say, well, I'll speak just for myself what's relevant and personal that since I'm a coach, I'm constantly practicing coaching skills and trying to be a better coach. And so there's this me now that embodies my current state. I have this um, version that I want to be with that's slightly different skill set. And I'm wondering, like, 
the ideal version can be really abstract, at least for me when I'm imagining how I want to be better at that or how I want to be better as a romantic partner. Um, I can like kind of guess, but it, it feels abstract. And I'm curious how you're able to navigate like making concrete the ideal version of yourself and where that fill in the blank is. Sure. Um, so the first point I would make is that the purpose of a goal is just a direction to head. It's not set, set in stone. So if we were waiting for that perfect vision, we would never start moving in the first place. That um, all progress comes in the form of a flywheel that we build momentum from early movement. And sort of like you can only steer a moving ship that as we move, we identify more opportunities that we draw our attention towards that path. So all it is, is like all this vision is, is just a rough draft to be highly edited along the way. Um, as our priorities, as our opportunities shift, um, so will this vision. But the idea is as we're moving in that general direction, even if we're course correcting, we're directionally correct, right? Say that we have this true north, but it turns out we're actually heading northeast. That's better than standing still or worse, heading south, right? At least we're moving in that general direction. Um, I'd also include this idea of an instrumental goal is that um, one way of thinking about this is skills that we would never regret having that are a part of all of, of all these visions. So kind of thinking in terms of, you know, infinite, um, infinite dimensions that every choice we make branches reality that in a majority of these realities that we desire, we have a commonality of these skills, right? These are the, these are the instrumental values. And so like, that's where we start is these are the pieces of the puzzle that are across all of the potential puzzles that we'd like to have. And so these become the building blocks we start with. Um, whereas like, maybe some of those other pieces of these hypothetical images of our future self, those vary a little bit more and those will kind of come into focus as we head in that direction. Yeah. So I was just laughing because, um, what you were, my mind's getting blown already. I feel like this, there's, uh, wow. I, I'm, I had a question I had wanted to ask you at the beginning. I was just, before we even got on this call, I was thinking like, you know, what would be interesting to hear your opinion on? And the main thing I was curious about was how you fused the world of productivity and spirituality, which we already like touched into even before anything even started. Because for me, I had always viewed those worlds as like different worlds. And spirituality is like such a vague term too. Like that could mean purpose. That could mean like just pursuing passions. It could mean communing with God, whatever. Um, but to me, I had always had these as like separate worlds of uh, the world of like striving and just like getting better at something. And the world of, I don't know, um, pursuits that uh, seemed more non-attached to striving. But the reason I was having my mind blown is just because in hearing your worldview, there feels to be like such a beautiful union where it's it's all really the same thing. And it's this interesting, huh. And yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm just sharing that uh, I'm having like an insight right now. And... Um, I do have a question also, but I guess I just wanted to like clue you into the enthusiasm that I'm experiencing currently. Thanks. Yeah, I, I think a lot of these a lot of these dichotomies are, are false dichotomies. And I said my my hope is in identifying um, somewhat universal principles that can be applied towards any end, um, whether that's traditional areas of productivity like growing a business, but um, or building a hobby or a skill, or so sort of more um, self-actualization goals, like discovering discovering our true self. I think this idea of finding the direct path, uh, I think applies to all of those. Yeah, well, and hearing you say that, I'm curious, like what is, if you have an overarching goal, like some kind of North Star that your life seems to be orienting towards, how would you describe what that means to you? What came up for me first was finding the intrinsic thread that ties together fulfillment. So essentially my product is purpose. So on a dollars and cents level, why it makes sense for someone to get a productivity coach is that 
they will get more important things done, which presumably makes them more money. So there's a direct, direct tie to the bottom line there. But I think the true drive that drives us all is to become the best version of ourselves in order that we could fulfill our purpose, like why we were put here, right? Where we weren't put here to make money, the money is just a way of creating the freedom necessary to pursue our ultimate goal. Um, and yeah, I, I look at what is, I think of this in terms of downhill, um, where say we're riding a bicycle and if we're heading down a hill, we don't even need to pedal. So it's something that feels effortless. I think is that's a good indication that you're on the right path towards purpose. For me, um, what felt very downhill was looking at all the people who I thought were really on their own path to fulfillment that had journeys that I would like to see mirror my own and trying to identify commonalities between what those people were doing and try to deconstruct and distill them down into principles that I could share with other people. So my coaching practice, I think, is basically an experimental lab where I am trying to teach these. By, by teaching them, I, I learn and internalize them for myself and seeing which of these cause people to get to that path, that end goal faster. And finding the right metaphor for how can we internalize these principles and thus identify opportunities to continually apply them. Um, so, I mean, this is a evolving journey for me, um, but I recognize like what I do naturally, like what appeals to me, what's downhill is this idea of identifying the common factors of fulfillment and what brings it to people. And so luckily I've stumbled upon a way of making a living that allows me to learn about something that I'd happily do forever for free and make a little bit of money at it. Um, what the ultimate purpose of that is, uh, I'm, not, I'm not close enough to the end game to see, but I know that what I'm doing is instrumental towards any ultimate vision. Like no matter what I want to do, becoming a fully capable person will certainly be a step on the way there. And no matter what I want to do, recruiting the most talented, ambitious people is going to be a part of that vision. And what better way than productivity to have a way that I can add value to every single one of those people I meet the rest of my life. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, always, I'm always mindful of diminishing returns when pursuit, um, start the, the effort required um, is not commiserate with the, the marginal gains that I take out of it. And I feel like I haven't even started to scratch the surface with this stuff. Hmm. Got it. Yeah, I love that. So like your sense of fulfillment, you at some point you noticed came from investigating the common thread of fulfillment in other people who seem to be very fulfilled. And you recognize that was your sense of fulfillment because it felt downhill, like it felt easy. It felt like you were um, moving downhill. And I'm wondering, was there a moment when like it occurred to you that like, oh, this is my downhill? Yeah, I think it was the moment that someone asked to pay me. Uh, I was I was just doing this for fun, um, having calls with friends. I mean, you know that coaching is essentially just a, a very deep conversation with strong intention behind it. Uh, it was essentially I was just doing as I always do, um, trying to add value the best way I knew is and uh, someone asked to become a client and the thought really hadn't occurred to me that like this was a is a potential way to make money um, to way to sort of perpetuate it right make it um, make it something that feeds itself. Um, yeah, I just continually just lean into that. Hmm. And were you pl you were playing poker professionally before uh, you got paid that first time? Yeah, yeah. Poker is what I'm what I'm best known for. Um, a lot of my mental models come from that world. Um, I mean, a huge amount of personal growth. Um, I mean, at one point, I was one of the the top players in the world. This is like back 2010, 2011. Um, but yeah, poker inherently 
is a zero-sum pursuit. So every dollar that you make is coming out of someone else's pocket. And I think that it, it lends itself to this kind of scarcity mindset that everything is a competition, that other people succeeding comes at the, um, the cost of your own success. And yeah, that's been the biggest shift for me is wanting to come from more of a place of abundance that I, rather than trying to take a larger slice of the pie, I'm trying to grow the pie. And it was these, these instrumental skills that I had built where my ultimate goal was to become one of the best players in the world, but there are instrumental skills that come along with that, right? So poker in a sense is like playing a mental sport that you have to be extremely disciplined, extremely focused. You have to really, really manage your time and your energy. Um, so I, I completely optimized my life like a professional athlete around the game of poker. And when I was identifying, um, so once I retired from poker, I did, did some travel, kind of some soul searching. Uh, what do I want to do next? I keep, I keep, came, keep coming back to this idea of accelerating the learning curve of people who are trying to make a dent in the world. And in a world, in a word that seemed like entrepreneurs. So I was trying to find this avenue to add value to entrepreneurs. Um, so I did some side businesses, did some like consulting and marketing and um, analytics, particularly because, you know, data is a huge part of my success as a poker player. Um, and like it was interesting, but obviously not a lot of fulfillment to help sell more widgets. Um, uh, but yeah, I, all along, I was still having these conversations with with former poker friends who had become entrepreneurs and sharing like what I had learned from poker as far as how to optimize their time, energy, and focus, and realized that this was a very high leverage way to add that value. I just hadn't really put put my finger on it before. Um, and yeah, I find I find tons of fulfillment in this. Um, I think it it takes um, takes a certain kind of personality type. Um, I think. A lot of people want to be the doer, want to be the one who's up front, but I've always really enjoyed kind of working with a lot of different types of people and getting a lot of ex different exposure. And the trade-off there is being a little bit more behind the scenes, right? So less hands dirty, less glory, but getting a wider spectrum um, with which to view things. And yeah, it's like, I, I always like the analogy of, you know, in X-Men, you have the, the mutant, I think Rogue, where she can take on the power of, of all the other mutants by, by touch, is that by getting exposure to all these, um, all these different industries, all these different personalities, all these different skill sets, can kind of take a little slice of each one of those and combine them into this hypothetical super mutant of skills and principles that can be then given to the world. Yeah, and like that that last piece makes a lot of sense to me because even if I'm reading a book by someone, I'm like absorbing them into my system to some degree while I'm reading that book and like my lens is partly colored by their lens. But working like face to face with people is just like a much deeper absorption. Um, so one thing I was wondering too is, I thought it was interesting when back when you were playing poker um, that you had this goal to be the best best player in the world. And I was just curious like if you always had that type of ambition because I find that like, at least for myself, there was a, I had to like unlock the ability to dream big. Like it was just completely barred in me most of my life because like, who am I to like have big goals and like, who am I to think I can do something? And I think that feels like a common thing with a lot of people I meet that it never even occurs to them that like they could be great or that they have greatness within them. And I'm wondering um, what, if, if that belief came naturally to you or if there's a period where that began to unlock itself. No, definitely not. Um, I mean, similarly, I had never considered becoming a professional poker player. I just fell into it in that um, my my job after college fell through. And when I my kind of part time hobby became this full time pursuit, I would say it's like it was fiscally irresponsible not to con to not continue it further. But it was never something that I set out. This is something that I want to do. It was just all my other options had fallen apart. So it was, okay, let's see if I can make this work. Um, I think growing up in the Midwest, uh, I think the the attitude is more 
towards comfort and um, maybe finding finding a place within the system rather than creating a new system. And so I was pretty deeply grounded into that. And I would say that I was ambitious, but not in this, I want to be the best dimension. It was, it was always in competition with those directly around me. And so I think that shift happened in poker where as I moved up through the limits, as I started playing um, in larger games against tougher opponents, the people around me sort of raised, forced me to raise my game and that I was still somewhat myopically focused on those who were directly around me, but that bar continually moved up to the point that, well, the, if I'm going up, I'm becoming the best at this point, right? There wasn't any more ring, rungs on the ladder. And so like a, uh, you know, in mathematics, it's called asymptote. You start to approach the ultimate limit, like the hundred percent, but you never quite get there. You're, you're getting these, these very small gains for large efforts. Um, that's when you have to pull out all the stops. Um, but it was never, it was, I don't think it was ever the ultimate goal, but I think the nice thing with goal setting is that once you hit your previous goal, you can start, you can set a new one. Um, and yeah, I think a danger that a lot of people fall into um, I think that like stasis is death, right? That we we get very comfortable in a good place, right? We, we, we reach a spot like, oh, this is like really nice here, but then we plateau. We're not, we're not looking towards the next thing. Um, so for me, the one thing I will say is that I am never, ever, ever satisfied if I'm not growing. So even if my sights were never at the moon, I was always heading in a direction. Um, and I think that's really the key for me to productivity in life is just find a way to keep moving. Yeah, cool. One, one thing I was curious about goals that you've mentioned a couple of times is the concept of instrumental goals. And I'm wondering if there are any instrumental goals in your life that you found to be particularly like... Um, or that have compelled you along your path? Yeah, um, I think I've mentioned, I think I've mentioned a few. Um, I'm huge, huge on habits because pretty much everything we do is habitual. And most of those habits are beyond our conscious awareness. So if we can get a handle on our habits and um, refactor our ability to create and strengthen new habits, we essentially bring most behavior, which is outside of our control, back in our control, right? That with bad habits in place, very little is possible, but with the opportunity to build any new habit, anything becomes possible. So uh, mastery of self through mastery of habit. Um, that's, I think that's instrumental towards everything. Um, I've touched on sort of the key pillars for me in my work, which are maximizing time, energy, and focus. Um, so time usually falls down to an ability to set and follow through on priorities. Uh, focus comes down to because our behavior is deterministic, most, you know, our behavior is primarily determined by the context we find ourselves in to know the conditions that we can follow through and the ability to recreate those conditions so we can focus on what's those, those priorities that are important. And then finally, energy our ability to bring our best selves to our work and to our life. So the, the lowest hanging fruits there, the sort of 99% is diet, exercise, and sleep. And so getting those really lie, lying down, I think is, is very instrumental. Um, I, that's always where I put a lot of my, my um, efforts because I think that that, that becomes um, like mastery in those areas it becomes a scaffolding that I can pursue anything. But if those areas fall apart, um, it's very difficult to do anything. Um, and then finally, I mentioned, as I mentioned before, um, what I love with, with this work that I get to work with a wide variety of personalities is that I think with any large vision, there's only so much that you can do yourself. Um, a big key for me to productivity is knowing what we're best at and finding ways to maximize our time um, at doing what we're best at. That's how we, that's how we maximize our leverage. And that, that means finding other people who we can recruit to our vision, who can help fill our natural skill gaps, the things that 
come a little bit harder to us that are a bit more uphill to use that analogy again. Um, so yeah, working a ton, a ton on, on social skills, my ability to communicate, to lead, um, to teach, um, to create processes. Um, that's been a big focus for me this year is, is, is creating and building a team because I know my personality tendency is I would love to just sit on the couch and read books all day and think, but um, because knowledge is only a force multiplier, right? If I'm not taking action, the value of that is zero, right? I'm multiplying by zero. So to take action, um, I need help, especially knowing my own tendencies. So yeah, that's, that's super instrumental. I'm, I'm, I love these conversations because you're talking about a bunch of different related things. And so I'm starting to get like a matrix of your worldview as like different pieces are filling in. And there's been kind of this interesting common thread of like, there's fulfillment, there's this idea of like your bicycle going downhill. And then there's this concept that you were just talking about of like, amplifying the things that you're already good at, which feels related to downhill versus uphill. And I'm curious, like, whether for you or general advice, um, how did you find like what you were good at? Um, or how might one find the things that they are uniquely good at? Yeah, I, I encourage everyone to adopt an experimental mindset, to treat everything as an experiment. Um, I think that we get in our own way more often than not. And by giving ourself permission to fail, that failure is not reflective of ourselves, but only that we did not set up the conditions necessary for success. I think that allows us to try many more things. Um, Existential angst used to be a huge problem for me in that I wouldn't do anything because I wasn't sure what it was that I ultimately wanted to do. Um, we kind of touched on this earlier is the importance of just having a direction to head towards. Um, what this experimental mindset allows for, um, I'll give an example, is I'm going to try this pursuit for the next 30 days with the goal of an experiment that I'm going to try to disprove my assumptions um, and for the next 30 days, I'm not going to concern myself whether this is the thing I should be doing. I'm just going to run full force. And at the end of 30 days, I can step back and reflect and say, all right, what did I learn? Is this something I want to double down on? Or is maybe something else going to be a better use of time? Um, I think it really all comes down to these um, planning, action, reflection cycles, right? It's a feedback loop. So, okay, using this 30-day example, what's the best thing that I can try for the next 30 days? And then I plan it out. What, what are the conditions that I, can, that I can create that make it most likely that I follow through and that I make the most of the next 30 days? And then the next 30 days, I'm just focused on execution, just doing it to my best of my ability. I don't have to worry whether I'm doing good because I'm just doing my best, right? As long as I'm doing my best, like I have no concerns. At the end of the 30 days, I reflect, what did I learn? Should I continue with this? Is there anything I'd like to do differently? That sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, th I find that that cycle is, is you're constantly just raising the floor for yourself. Um, so for, for me, I, I mentioned before, it's like this disidentification with failure. And I, as a general, in terms of discovering passions, I believe in trying everything once because it's really not possible to know what you are going to be good at or what you're going to enjoy until you've actually done it. Um, our, our brain is, is very good at fooling ourselves and creating these kind of invalidated assumptions. Um, so yeah, giving the experiment an opportunity to succeed. So I've tried many things and most of them I do once and say, all right, that was cool. I learned a lot. I don't think I'll do that again. But that's how these little mini experiments have kind of found out. That's how I found out all the things that have stuck. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, I've also, um, the concept of 30-day or just block time containers of experiments, uh, I've come across that too, originally from a blogger named Steve Pavlina. Have you come mm -hmm. across him? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. And it's such a beautiful... Um, it's like a beautiful, it's a hack. It feels like a hack. Like it's like fooling myself to show up in life in a way I'm more enthused and like bought in than I normally would because I know it's for a finite period of time, which is just, is really amazing. And I'm curious, do you, 
uh, when you were speaking of your 30-day cycles, do you essentially constantly have one going, whether it's the planning, the doing, or the reflecting, but are you always, is your life um, compiled in just 30-day chunks in that way? Yeah, I, I review at, at the beginning and end of every month, and um, progress is multidimensional. I have these 30-day experiments going on in every area of my life, so I'll have one going on in health, one going on in mindfulness, one going on in hiring, etc. Like all these areas, um, because I'm not trying to make progress on one dimension, so I'm trying to make progress on every dimension. And as long as these experiments are mutually exclusive enough, um, they can happen concurrently. Do you find it challenging to balance them all at once? Oh, absolutely. Um, sure. Is I constantly take on more than I can. And so I think of I think of these as like a portfolio to use an investment metaphor that um, every month is my opportunity to kind of reevaluate where my time and attention is going and bring my portfolio back into balance. So let's say that I become way over focused on one area of my life. Let's say hypothetically, like I just spend the entire this would happen all the time with poker. I would just spend the entire month in my room playing poker and not step outside, not exercise, not seeing it, not seeing any friends. So clearly, like my portfolio has gotten out of balance where on paper I make a lot of money, but I've I've. I'm not making progress on all these important dimensions. So every month is this opportunity to rebalance and put some systems into place. Um, like in that example, this is like a few years ago when I was getting into poker, like joining some organizations that I have to go to, getting some friends like on the calendar that, that I'm going to see them, hiring a trainer, that kind of stuff, putting systems in place so that things become more in balance, right? That, that balance becomes the default. And understanding that constantly this is, there's going to be this oscillation and shift, but as long as it's just like bringing your attention back to your breath, you just review and say, okay, what can I do? Just bringing it back like muscle. Um, yeah, I, I really like what you said as far as giving yourself permission. Maybe I'm, I'm paraphrasing there. We're talking about time, time boxing, that having a set period of time, um, creating the intention that you're going to do this time gives yourself permission to do it. Um, I find we just get in our own way so much and thus like with the, with this lack of conviction we're, we're obviously like self-sabotaging ourselves all the time because um, like our brain is a prover, right? We want to prove ourselves right. So if we're unsure if this is the right thing we're, we're to do, we're going to be constantly looking for reasons why this might not be the right thing to do. We're going to try to prove ourselves right. We're, we're a lot of times like, uh, where being right is more important than making progress. So this, this setting the, the time period um, allows for failure because we're not trying to prove anything. We adopt this curiosity mindset because knowing is the enemy of learning. That being curious, what can I learn in this period? It's not what do I already know and I'm just living it out. It's what can I learn, um, which I find is a very, very useful distinction. Yeah, for sure. That... Huh. Well, one thing I'm wondering is, uh, so for me, I, I find that like I have systems in place and when I'm in my systems and in periods that I want to be in, it feels like fucking great. Like when I'm locked into it, it's like, uh, but there's also a part of me that loves chaos. And there are times where all I want to do is like rebel against my systems. Yep. And, and honestly, those periods are, it's like this constant, uh, exp expansion contraction. And I'm currently have found myself in a state of chaos just all kinds of chaos, like right now, emotional chaos, like my, I'm feeling so messy in my feelings and like I'm, uh, I'm renovating a garage into a house, which is completely taking over my work schedule. So like my time is all fucked up and like my room is a mess because I can't unpack because I'm still building my room, uh, my garage room. And my life is in utter chaos right now, but it feels um, like amazingly cathartic. There's yes. something that like is so like beautiful about this state of disorder and I'm curious if one, if you have a similar like piece of you that desires chaos, and then two, how you're able to integrate those those two frames. Yeah, I mean it's built into the natural law of the universe, right? The universe tends towards disorder. That essentially life is reverse entropy. Uh, so yeah, I think that the best system is the system that can be picked back up quickly because every system breaks. Um, I like to say that 
a system is only perfectly optimized when it's on the verge of collapse, right? That we get too narrow-minded, kind of tunnel-visioned on we have to make this thing perfect. And by the time we get perfect, it's not even relevant anymore. Um, so yeah, I think it's actually very critical to purposefully sometimes break everything. And so it's like, it's like an, I'll use the investment analogy again, like you, if you sell all your stocks, right, you're holding nothing, then you can decide what you want to buy back into. But you're, you're, you've reset to zero. You're from a place of, I can do whatever I want. And if it makes sense to pick everything back up, then great. But you remove all of the baggage and, and kind of momentum of this is what I'm already doing. And you step back from a place of, okay, what does it make sense to do? So, yeah, I think that's completely natural. Um, you know, my habits and systems break all the time. And that's why I emphasize keeping them as simple as possible and just having sympathy that, you know, travel, moving places, changing of priorities, getting sick, all these things are going to happen. And the important thing is that you just pick back up. That was really beautiful to hear you just acknowledge the like, um, like naturalness. And I mean that, I guess we're in a lot of ways, but just the naturalness of that process, because this is one of the, usually I feel really like guilty when my systems break and there's a part of me that's like, no, fuck, like need to have the system back in order. And I, I still feel that some of that in my system right now, currently, even though I'm like relatively released into this current life state of chaos I'm in. But, uh, but it was really beautiful to hear you say that. And like, there's the part of myself that like feels appeased and again, has more permission to like not be on system 365 days a year at, you know, all waking hours. So thank you. Yeah, I think I think it's important to have the right kind of fuel, right? Uh, guilt is very poor fuel to be driving from. I, I, I'm there myself, right? We always want to be operating out of abundance and love. And so just understanding that we are basically slightly more evolved monkeys living in an environment that we're completely maladapted to and that any time that our long-term goals and our current desires can be aligned should be just the cause for a massive party. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, yeah, keeping in mind just how difficult this stuff is and that, yeah, backsliding is un inevitable, um, that the most helpful thing is to have empathy for ourselves. I, I like to say, like, I treat my future self as a customer, that I'm, I want that they're, they're essentially going to be a different person, right? The person five years from now, one year from now, five minutes from now is not the same as Chris at this very given moment. And thus there'd be a different person. I need to have empathy for that person because their needs, desires are going to be different from mine. Um, and yeah, that being one's own taskmaster just doesn't sound fun. Um, I'd, I'd rather... I'd rather just give my best and see what happens. Hmm. Yeah. That's a cool, it's like a cool, um, I, it's not quite a thought experiment, but like a thought feeling experiment of imagining my future self and just the difference in like his psychological makeup and just all over makeup and then empathizing, <laughs> empathizing with that different version. That's like a, that's a cool activity. Well, it's it's over. It's a it's a neurological override because when uh, we think about our future self, the same parts of our brain are activated as if we're thinking about a stranger, right? In our mind, there's no right. differentiation there, and that's why we're yeah. constantly kicking the can down the road, right? Like, mm. you know, that's something for right. future Chris to worry right. about. Like, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's like, of course, right now, what. I don't want to be working. I want to be enjoy having the <laughs> maximal pleasure. So I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. like all of that hard stuff. I'm going to leave, leave down the line. And so like coming into the understanding that like, that's going to be the case. We can be gentle with ourselves and think about this person who we don't know. How can we gently nudge them to be more likely to do the thing that we'd like them to do now? Right. And it strikes me that like, because I can imagine like, you know, infinite different future mics to empathize with. But the one that I choose to empathize with 
It's also probably the most likely one that I'm setting myself up to become also, which is like a cool little double bonus. One thing I was wondering when you were just when you were talking about guilt and like places of motivation that you come from. One thing I'm curious is like how you deal with um, less light motivations or like darker motivations. So, for example, um, there's a part of me that wants it's like this people pleaser in me. It wants people to like me, wants to be famous, wants to be successful so that the world will love me and I'll have validation. Sure, I'm not trying to let that guy like be who I am. And yet one school of thought would say, okay, but I can see that his motivation can be like used to align with my greater motivation, which might be like, you know, pursuing my passion and giving my gift to humanity in full. There's a way that those two could complement each other. And I think there are some schools of thought that say, no, 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 no. Like if it's an impure motivation, you shouldn't use it to your advantage. You just need to like you know, be with it or like uh, maybe even dissolve it or something to that effect. Uh, I'm curious if that framework made sense, how you kind of navigate with the less pure motivations that you have yeah yeah i would start by saying being realistic and that these motivations exist and that they serve some sort of purpose um that we are not a coherent i but that we consist of a multitude of selves each with conflicting desires and motivations right so say this this darker self that lives within us this this shadow um is he serves a purpose and he he exists for a reason right there is otherwise he wouldn't be there now the the problem is i'm kind of anthropomorphizing this 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 part of ourselves let's say let's say um we we give him the driver's seat the problem is that once he has the driver's seat it's very difficult to get him out but there are roles, let's say like play in a stage play, there are roles for he that he is per perfectly suited. And so the way I think about this is being able to call upon these different moods, these different roles within myself, these different Chris's, um, when the situation calls for it. It's like, there comes a time to be angry, to be afraid, to draw from these, these, these shadow parts but we shouldn't let them rule the day, right? We shouldn't give them the driver's seat. They're more a on-call navigator. Um, and yeah, I, I think that by listening to them and by acknowledging their message, um, it allows to kind of reconcile with our higher self. Um, a lot of this for me comes from, I'm a big fan of the modality of therapy called internal family systems, uh, which is, taking this kind of modular mind approach to we have all of these selves within ourselves and that by by reconciling their desires we can move forward in a more coherent manner hmm. yeah that's that's cool you bring that up as you were speaking about the driver metaphor and repurposing i was reminded of i used to have a gestalt therapist and i'm not sure if that's in oh yeah i think ifs Internal family systems and gestalt are on a related lineage, um, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, I just remember how fascinating it was where like there'd be some part of me, uh, I'd have an emotion and I'd know what it was. It was like, Ugh, I feel gross. And then I'd work with my therapist and it's like, oh, there's some guilt going on. And it's like, oh, there's a small eight-year-old Mike and there's this old figure that like represents some combination of my dad and Professor Snape who's like cracking the whip at young Mike. And then like I come in and I talk to Snape and like let him know that I understand him. And then he softens. Then I give him a different job and he's like defending the gate instead of whipping the boy. And it was just like this really <laughs> cool. Like I would just get into these awesome like plays every time. But it's such a beautiful concept of um, anthropomorphize, anthropomorphizing myself into an infinite amount of entities and then like letting them both interact with each other, like heal each other and then ultimately be the conductor of the orchestra so they're all like in interaction and movement towards the same common goal exactly yeah well said um i i think that's that's the key is how can we have all of these parts of ourselves moving in concert in the same direction and that's a bit of compromise and the way that you compromise is making sure that everyone is heard, right? That said, everything has an association. In your example, you, you were having an interaction that brought up a part of yourself that was created to defend yourself. 
And so when you that that association was reactivated, that self rose to the occasion because it thought it was needed. Um, uh, you were mentioning kind of this this people pleaser aspect before, which I can certainly relate to. Um, so there's an aspect to, again, not letting it rule the day, but also, and this is kind of like the dark art, is if you know that this is a motivating factor that's going to happen anyway, um, how can you build motivation around fulfilling this motivator? So using that people pleaser specifically, um, setting yourself up so that if you fail to follow through, that people will be displeased with you, right? <laughs> um, so like this is this could be like some sort of this is, yeah this this actually works like it's it's a bit dark art, oh, but like a pre commitment. So um, I've had clients I've worked with who can't get themselves to write, so I have them commit. Um, either publicly or directly with someone whose opinion means quite a lot that they're going to follow <laughs> through on that task. And it sets it up that people would be displeased with them. And it's crazy the hoops that we will jump through just to remain consistent in other people's minds. Yeah, dude, that's, <laughs> I'm, that is just so, so funny. It's such a good idea because it's like, um, it reminds me of, I used to, do you remember the show, Are You Afraid of the Dark? It was like a yeah. Nickelodeon show oh, yeah. that was like a, it was like way too scary for kids. I feel like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I remember there was an episode where there's this room, and it was like this magic room where when you walk in, you're just confronted with your greatest fear, and so it had all kinds of like different shit depending on the person. But I like that like using that concept in order to motivate oneself, and it's just funny that like I can relate. We're like, yeah, probably one of my greatest fears is like having someone disappointed in me, like someone who I respect either like disappointed. Or like thinks I'm like annoying or something like that. It's like there is this part of myself that spends all of its energy not monitoring social interactions to make sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> and being like, yep. hey dude, like I'm about to like throw this on you if if you don't do if I don't do what I say I'm gonna do. Oh, dude, that's great. Love it. <laughs> yeah, I think with the right lever we can move the world. Right. So it really comes down to how important is this to us? Um, I like the example, you know, you see movies like Taken, right? Let's say the person that you love most in the world was taken from mm -hmm. you. And Ooh, yeah. what do you do, right? So you, obviously, you become a very different type of person when, you know, what you most love is at stake. Um, and so there is presumably you are holding yourself back in some area because you feel the stakes aren't worth it that it's not important it's not important enough for you you know to become Liam Nielsen and go out and kill some terrorists right <laughs> it's like it's it's not it's it's somewhere lower than that bar but presumably right. that ability exists in all of us if something yeah. important enough was at stake so it becomes sure. like how important is following through in this area to us and then choosing yeah. a lever that's at that level, right? So it's yeah, probably not sure. going out and, or it's probably not like simulating someone you love is kidnapped from you, but it could be posting on social media that you're going to have the first chapter of your book out next week, right? It's like, it's like picking a, a lever that's commiserate with it that you know forces your, your best self to follow through. Um, it, it creates a default um, I call it a forcing function that once this is in place, there's no question whether you're going to follow through. It's like, of course, it's it's totally worth it. Yeah, for sure. And that's I, I like that concept of levers, too, because uh, so I used to actually when I was living, I lived in Guatemala for a little bit last year. And there was this run I'd go on every day where it was like up this kind of rocky hill and down. And it was just fun to do it as fast as I could. And eventually, like I started to imagine that. Um, Lauren, who was like a partner at the time, was was essentially kidnapped, and I had to like get back to her, and it essentially allowed me to embody an archetype, and just like let it suffuse into my body and give me this like jolt of energy, and I'm finding that like the uh, the interesting levers of putting importance on something like embodying archetypes is a really interesting one I've been playing with, particularly around this like warrior archetype. There's just certain parts of my system that when they all link up together, I feel this like a uh, fire burning in my blood and I just want to like defend something and like 
put myself out there. And it's interesting because that's like a similar, that feeling is, is ignited if I imagine I'm Liam Neeson doing the whatever. Like, you know, one is a means to get to the other. And same too with like music. Like certain songs I listen to will evoke these different like archetypes or beings or... I mean, one way you could look at it in the internal family system model we were talking about, just like, I don't know, versions of Mike that are coming up and are like just charged and ready to go. But I find that that's a really interesting way for me to look at levers is like the different archetypes I have in my system and seeing what can activate that state of being. Yeah, uh, the word that comes up for me is disidentification. Um, I'm really big into improv comedy and the, the foundational book in the field impro talks about masks and how in the old days performance would happen with masks where now you you watch a movie or and you see the actor but with a mask the actor is subsumed by the character and the goal is to become a channel and to be the most authentic interpretation of that that Um, character right you're wearing a mask of the devil it's not that you are identifying with the devil you are trying to give the most accurate interpretation of what the devil would be like right you become it um and so in that same way um we limit ourselves all the time by having an identity that's too large right and that this is not me this is not what i do uh that's not something that i'm interested in versus what is the type of person that is necessary to fulfill this role? And can I become that person in an instrumental manner? Like what is the archetype that I need to embody in order to accomplish this? For sure. And God, it's, it's just striking me like the ability to disidentify um, with my role is so fucking important in so many dimensions too. Like I feel like in arguments, for example, like if I'm with a romantic partner, And like something comes, if I'm able to like just see what's coming out of me and be like, ah, there's some part of me that has this feeling it wants to express. When I identify with it, that's when I get like locked in and like stuck in habits and patterns and it gets icky. But when I can like have space and disidentify from parts of myself, it makes connecting with other humans like it's just so much easier to communicate as well. It's it's a remarkable, it's like a that's a remarkably like um, instrumental skill, I think, is as well self disidentification. Yeah, because as I said, you have permission to fail, whereas if you identify too strongly, failure reflects on you as a person. For sure. And I think I think it also engages that that curiosity, right? Is um, it's something it's something that you're trying to be authentic towards the role in the situation that you're in. Um, and there's less worries about being authentic to yourself, whatever that means. Hmm. Yeah, cool. One thing I was curious to circle back to earlier when we were talking about habits is just if there's any, um, the way I was reading your blog earlier and the way I was interpreting what how you uh, relate to habits was that like, it's not like I, I'm just going to have perfect habits overnight. It's like this kind of cumulative process where I'm, you know, tweaking this one and adding this one in and like slowly building this scaffolding. And I'm curious if there are habits, well, one, if that's an accurate reflection, and then two, if there are habits in the scaffolding that feel um, like the most fundamental to you. Yeah. Um, good question. I'll take those um, one at a time. So, yes, I think habits are a lifelong pursuit. Um, I think a mistake that many people make in self-improvement is that they think they are going to change overnight. Um, I call this a heavy lift. Like this is the day that everything changes. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, you know, only eat these three foods for the rest of my life. Or, you know, I've never seen the inside of the gym, but now I'm going to weight train five times a week. And, you know, there's this huge effort and push and for a week or two, they stick with it. But missing one single day um, throws everything off. Right. Because the dependence there is that they're going to feel up to it, that they're going to have enough motivation and willpower to follow through indefinitely, which is, as we said before, um, things break is is not is not reliable. But what is reliable is this power of compounding interest that. Every habit we build 
as you said, creates a scaffolding for us to create more habits, that each habit is slightly easier than the one before it, as there's carryover because there's a common way to build habits. So we, it's a skill that we improve with over time. And all of these habits give us more resources, right? These are the instrumental ones where for each person, their, their resource bottleneck is going to be different, right? I think it usually fits into time, focus, energy. But um, within, those, within those buckets, um, once the habit has been installed, they have more resources with which to do everything, right? So we'll start, we'll start with um, meditation, for example. Um, if someone builds the habit of, of meditation, they build their focus muscle. They can be more focused when they're doing everything for the rest of their lives. They will be more observant of everything happening around them, more in touch with the present moment, more, um, more mindful of sensory stimuli, um, more loving kindness towards others, probably a more moral person, etc. It's like just building that one habit raises the bar on all of these areas, which then can be applied towards everything for all time. Um, so yeah, I, I usually I usually tell people to start with where they think um, their their biggest gap is and build that first, usually build one habit at a time, at least like really focus on that. And then once that's in place, move on to the next one. Um, I think if I could recommend one specific habit for everyone is to do something first thing in the morning that sets their day uh, in motion, that starts to build momentum. Um, I like to say that if you start the day perfectly, it might end that way. Um, and I find that, you know, beginnings are very delicate times that the, the way that we start the day usually sets the tone. So whatever that might be, and there's a lot of talk about morning routines. Um, I usually advise some form of movement, some form of reflection, some form of planning, and then some form of writing and reading. Um, those kind of five pillars, picking one of those and sticking to it for a while, first thing in the day. And then that becomes an anchor around which you can start to build. Sweet. Thank you, man. We're running into time and I'm curious, where can people find you and for what reasons might they want to look you up? Uh, well, I hope they'd like to look me up because they like what I had to say and would like to learn more because I always hope that these conversations are the beginning of another conversation. Um, I hope it comes across, uh, even if I get a little bit serious, that uh, how important these things are to me and how much I enjoy talking about them. So, if anything I said today resonated, um, I'd love to hear what and how I could help you reach the next level in that area. Um, I'm pretty easy to find online, um, as Mike alluded to, um, putting out my book, which will be completed later this year. You can find some chapters on my blog, on my website. Website is theforcingfunction.com. You can find more, more information about me, um, read chapters of the book, learn more about my coaching practice, etc. Um, you can also find me on all of the social media chapter uh, channels at Sparks Remarks. It's easy to remember because it rhymes, Sparks Remarks. <laughs> um, and yeah, I said I'm, I'm very available. You can send me an email, um, chris at theforcingfunction.com, and I'll get back to you. Um, this, is, this is a lot of fun, so thanks for having me. Yeah, um, it's that's always an interesting dynamic, I'm realizing, when I asked you to share um, all of your resources and what you have. All of a sudden, you, you were talking to like... Um, invisible audience people and i'm like here listening as like a third party it's like oh cool it's but it's a really interesting like like subtle energy shift versus talking to one person which is so much yeah, easier yeah, yeah. yeah it's tough to it's tough to sell ourselves um that's what i say is like i try to try to talk to one person but when it's how can everyone potentially try to reach you here are all the ways right yeah for sure dude thank you so much for the time and for just uh showing up in such earnestness and with your intentionality this has been like a remarkable conversation for me it's uh just like there's a lot of doors that just got nudged ajar that i can feel so i really want to thank you for your time and sharing your wisdom uh pleasure's all mine thank you so much for having me hey friends thank you for tuning in i hope you got something out of this episode i know that i sure had a blast with it if you enjoy this podcast please head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. 
I'm offering an exchange right now where if it feels in alignment for you to give this podcast five stars, then send me a message on Facebook, let me know you did it, and then I'll sit down, take some time to grok your profile, and I will write you a thoughtful and sincere compliment. Truly, please take me up on it. And if this episode touched on something you think a friend might find titillating, pass it on to them too. And I just want to say, I bring my utmost sincerity to each of these conversations, and I really do want to spread vibes and information that cause people to reflect and deepen and just live a more honest, kind, and vivacious life. Because I really believe that the state of the world needs everything that we can give it. It needs people to be at full capacity. It needs people to be living their life fully and giving their greatest positive impact to humanity. And so if I can just flick over one domino with this podcast that flicks over a couple more that lead people into living their life fully and giving back to the earth, then by Jove, man, I will be a happy dude. So trying to do my part here and any help, love, and support, I would just so greatly appreciate. And at the very least, I am super appreciated that you listened to this episode and much love, folks. I'll see you next time.